Immersive Audio Podcast. In conversation with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business, to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Hey guys, uh, welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast. How are you today? Hi Oliver, yeah. Greetings from Germany. Thanks for having us. We're doing pretty good actually. Yeah, it's a beautiful sunny day. So welcome everybody. This is uh, our second episode in isolation. So you guys calling in from Germany. Um, are you in the same city, different locations right now? Well, yes, we both live in the surroundings of Heidelberg, um, a city quite well known for its castle and old university and uh, it's about one hour from frankfurt so it's in the south of germany how's the situation there oh pretty good people are pretty behaved i guess it's a little bit difficult with uh, the sun shining germans love when the sun comes out i guess europeans i'm from brazil so we get sun all the time um but here in europe it's a little bit more rare so <laughs> when the sun is shining people want, want to go outside but they're behaving pretty well what do you say, Dan? At least on my end of the town, people are behaving. Yeah, I mean, I live in a very small village, uh, which is a bit up the hills and in the forest. So it's super calm here. You can you can always go out for a hike. There is no park that would be forbidden to go or anything. So things are pretty normal when you go outside here, um, except maybe the, the gardens look a lot nicer than they usually do at this time of the year. So people have a lot of time. Nice. Um, and how are you coping, guys, in the current climate and with all the social distancing? Uh, life hasn't changed that much, I must say. I mean, I worked uh, before we started Delta, worked from home for three years as a freelancer. So now I'm back to the roots, I guess. Um, yeah, I think in our, our line of work, we can do a lot of things from home and just have our, our workstation at home. And that's that's the very practical side of things. For me, not a lot has changed too, because I still go to the studio. It's like my second living room, if you want. And I do my work there mostly because um, recently I've been mixing shows in uh, 3D. And so I cannot do that at home, actually. But there is some, like the August stuff that needs to be done, you know, daily calls and emailing that I do from home now. And But I've been doing that anyway all the time here. And otherwise, um, has the coronavirus impacted your business and kind of the the industry in general in, in, in your local region in Germany? Yes, it definitely has. So um, for me, because I also do um, music productions and uh, live sound, and especially in March, now I had quite a couple of events that have all been canceled. So it uh, definitely does affect my business. Um, in terms of Delta Soundworks, I think uh, it's also impacting quite a bit because we did have some seminars on the scope at the Film Academy and it's quite unsure if they will reopen until uh, the end of Easter break. So we don't know what's going on there and um, yeah, all the filming industry is on hold I think at the moment. Dan, Anna, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your background? 
Sure. Hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Anna Monte. I'm the co-founder and lead sound designer at Delta Soundworks. Um, I'm originally from Brazil, but I've been living in Germany for a while. And I studied recording arts at California State University in Chico, Chico State. Shout out. Um, after graduating, I, I moved to Germany and uh, did my master's in film sound and sound design at the Film Academy Baden-Württemberg. So um, I've been working with sound design ever since. And uh, 2016, we um, founded Delta Soundworks to focus on immersive audio. Hi again, my name is Daniel Deboy. I'm the head of engineering and co-founder of Delta Soundworks. I was born and raised in Heidelberg and came back here after studying sound engineering in uh, Graz in Austria. This program is focusing a lot on signal processing, acoustics and sound field reproduction. And the Institute for Electronic Music is quite well known for the research in uh, higher order ambisonics. And that's also where I did my diploma thesis in. So it kind of came natural to me later to get back in the field of spatial audio and immersive sound production. But before that, I was working at CERN in Geneva in Switzerland. This is the European Research Center for Nuclear Physics. And I was involved in a project about acoustic monitoring of the Large Hadron Collider, which is the big machine they have running there. And after three years of research, I decided to come back to Germany and get into the creative side of my profession. And before we started Delta Soundworks, I was freelancing for a while. And um, after working in my home studio for a year, I decided that I need something more professional. And that's when I uh, rented a room at the Alte Zigarrenfabrik, which is in uh, Sandhausen, close to Heidelberg and where we are also happily based nowadays with our company. How did you guys start working together? How did you meet? Well, uh, we met at the studio, I think. So the studio owner gave me Anna's address and, and, and told me to contact her because she was interested in renting a room as well, and that room would have been next to mine. And so we got into a uh, discussion, and uh, we always wanted to to do something together, I believe. And after a while, we did a, a brainstorming session in our studio kitchen. And I invited about, I don't know, 10 people maybe. It was composers. They were doing um, film music compositions. Some of them were just composers for um, jazz music or, or something. But all of them wanted to get into film sound somehow. And Anna was the one who was already into film sound. So I thought it's a good idea to invite her. And uh, during this meeting, um, we ended up watching a, a YouTube 360 degree video. It was 2016 and it was just the start of those. And um, we became very interested in what's possible in terms of sound for these type of videos. Because obviously, if you can uh, look in different directions in a video. Um, the The question is obvious if you can also use the sound to to immerse yourself in that. And so we started researching on it and um, figured out that um, there is a lot of ambisonics going on there. And uh, that very topic has been on my list for my diploma thesis. So it was an obvious choice to to dive deeper into it and then Anna took off the idea as well and we started chatting a lot and then that's how it 
started, right? That was a really great coincidence. I, I still don't know until today why we decided to watch these 360 videos in the middle of the of the brainstorming session. Like super random, but I guess we, we started watching them and, and showing it to the, the musicians. Look how cool you can do that with your cell phone and move move it around. And um yeah, from that session actually. Um, Dan and I were the ones that were mostly interested in like, okay, let's let's start a company. How do we get things going? And um, Dan, with his experience in Ambisonics and my contacts in the film industry, was kind of like the perfect match to kind of combine both the skills and, and contacts and, and try to get something going. And as they say, the rest is the history, right? The rest of it is history, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice. No, it's pretty cool. Maybe Dan can explain better because he's been in the studio for longer. Um, the place where we are based, um, how it works. Sure. Because yeah, it's a so, really yeah. interesting concept. It's uh, it's a quite traditional place, which has been around since the 1980s. So it's an even older building, but it has been repurposed as a recording studio in the 80s. And it was built for classical music and jazz music recording. Um, so it's quite a historical place, but it was um, sold to a new owner a couple of years ago. And then it was restructured. And nowadays, there is not only one company inside there. There is, um, we are now 14 people who are all freelancers and we all rent our own production room. And then the recording spaces we share. So we have two big recording halls. And if we need them, we just book them for a day and we can go crazy there. And the nice thing is that everyone threw in his equipment and of course there is a lot of uh, old equipment that has been around in the studio that we keep there's a really nice microphone collection and tons of preamps what you would need um, to record music nicely and um, so that that's how it works and we are a bit the outliers doing 3d audio and uh, film sound i would say and so that's something new for the studio but uh, it has been embraced pretty well and nowadays there is a lot of interest in 3d audio also for music and so we are seeing new connections and i mean we are not only single people who work for themselves but we also work together on on projects in different constellations can we start by talking about the stanford virtual heart project what this project is about so the stanford virtual heart is a vr experience um by a California company called Lighthouse Inc. And they they focus their virtual reality experiences um, for science and healthcare education. And um, so it was founded by um, David. The, the, we call it the two Davids. The VR experience was made by the two Davids. So one David is the founder of Lighthouse Inc. And the other David is Dr. David Axelrod. And uh, he's a pediatric cardiologist um, at Stanford. So they saw a need um, for an application like this to help uh, not only med students, but also parents to understand complex heart defects. So there's two parts to the experience. There's the outside part, which um, you kind of see a shelf full of hearts, and these hearts have defects, and you can pick them up from the shelf and kind of explore the heart in your hands with your controller. You can open up the heart and see dif different um, heart parts <laughs> and also um, listen to how those sounds um, sound like, like the different defects have different sounds. Um, the second part is you can teleport yourself to inside the heart and have like a inside the heart perspective. 
And that's where you can also see different heart components, but in a 3D um, realm, let's say. So you can see the blood flowing from one side to the other. You can see if the heart has a hole on it. You can see where the hole is and um, where different sounds are coming from. So it's a pretty, pretty cool um, tool, and it's currently being used in very different um, medical medical um, institutes around the world. So that's that's pretty cool. It's really an honor to be part of this project. And um, was actually a super funny coincidence because uh, we met the two Davids in a tech conference in Germany. Um, we were just um, checking out the different VR experiences and we see these two guys with a laptop just standing around and waiting for someone to, to show their experience. And we're like, oh, what is this all about? And um, they showed us the experience, and once we put the the goggles, we were just our mind was just blown because you have this hyper realistic heart beating in front of you. And uh, the the funniest thing is that we saw the heart, and obviously, as sound nerds, we noticed, oh, there's no sound, and we decided to ask them, like, hey, by the way, like your your experience doesn't have any sound. Do you guys need any sound? And they were like, yeah, it's really interesting that you asked that because actually sound is really really important for this experience because that's the, the first way that doctors use to diagnose a problem is with listening through the stethoscope, right? So actually that has to be a part of the medical student's training also is, is to diagnose those different defects based on the sound. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really cool project. I actually had a chance to have a little go at it uh, last time we met at the Spatial Audio Forum event, um, which I believe was autumn 2019. Yeah. So since this tool is being used to train medical students on how to use their ears to detect heart defects, how did you approach the sound design to ensure their accuracy and authenticity? Yeah, so it was a very interesting and, and long process. Um Obviously, the sound is a very important part of the diagnosis, and the med students have to um, learn those different sounds when they or recognize those different sounds and rhythms when they listen through a stethoscope. And um, our first thing was to have lots of um, Skype talks with Dr. Axelrod. And he explained to us the different defects and how they sound differently. He he provided us with tons of um, sound examples from actual stethoscope recordings so that we could um, hear the difference in those sounds. So um, obviously authenticity was very, very important. And the whole time we were under the guidance of Dr. Axelrod so that we could um, have those sounds be um, accurate. Can I add something to that? Um, because I think the sound accuracy, um, it it was not so much about the timbre of the sound, it was more about the rhythm of the sound, which is important because in reality, the stethoscopes, they all sound a bit different uh, in terms of timbre, but they are very accurate, of course, um, when it comes to the rhythms. So distinguishing between the rhythms is actually what they're doing not so much about uh, the timbre of the sound. So I think that that was uh, very important for us to know because the actual sound design later is not so accurate when it comes to timbre because we had to tweak it a little bit here and there even to, to make it work better in the spatial audio. Um, so yeah, I think that, that, that was an important thing to know. 
That's very interesting. And and how many different types of sounds uh, did you have to create in the end? Um, can you talk about uh, what kind of health conditions those sounds represent as well? Mm -hmm. I think um, the app nowadays has about 12 different heart defects that you can learn about. So the first thing we obviously needed was the sound of a healthy heart. So um, this is the normal lap and up that we know. And um, doctors think that these sounds come from the closing and opening of the heart valves. And uh, so there is four of these valves um, involved in the heart and two, two of these valves will um, open and close at the same time. So there is only two sounds that you can hear, but if you listen closely when you exhale, for example, you can, you can hear and distinguish between these two valves that are closing and opening within a matter of a couple of milliseconds. So maybe we can listen to that quickly because we do have the samples here. So this is what we are all used to hearing and uh, the sound of a normal healthy heart, right? Um, but now when it comes to defects, the most common defect is the ventricular septal defect, which is a hole between um, the walls of the two lower heart chambers, which are called the ventricles. It allows the blood to pass from the left to the right side of the heart. And this blood flow creates a kind of a murmur sound, which you can hear in between the lop and the dub. So maybe we can listen to that quickly. So you can hear this murmur happening between the first lob and up sound, um, but not in the second phase coming back from the dub to the lob. And um, so these type of murmur sounds, they are the ones that help to distinguish for the different heart defects. So for another example, there's the patent ductus arteriosus, PDA. Uh, and it's an extra blood vessel that is found in babies before birth and just after birth. And uh, in most babies who have an otherwise normal heart, the PDA will shrink and close on its own um, within the first days. But if it doesn't and stays open for longer, it may cause extra blood to flow to the lungs, which is obviously not good and needs to be uh, removed in the surgery. So you will uh, notice that the blood flow here is constant. You can hear a constant murmur if you play you this sound. So this is the, the different elements that we had to deal with. So it's the lap and dub sound and then there's the murmurs going on. And they they form up different rhythmical patterns. And sometimes you would even need the lap and dub sounds to be distinguishable. So you would have this double dub and which helps to to distinguish even more in detail what what the actual defect is about. So it's pretty complex after all, and uh, it's incredible what um, the the doctors need to be able to distinguish. So it's even a couple a matter of milliseconds that they need to to listen to. Yeah, it's, uh, we know the lub dub as lub dub lub dub, but actually, it's if you listen to it slowed down, it's doing lub lub dub dub because there are four valves. So it's it's incredible to that the doctors have to train their ears to to hear these milliseconds between the first lub and the second lub, because obviously it's so it's beating so fast that you just hear lub dub lub dub dub dub, but it's doing lub dub 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 dub. You know what I mean? And um, if they're pediatric um, cardiologists, then it's even tougher because baby heartbeats are very fast, like 
120 BPM. So it's really difficult if you, if you have like different defects that um, a valve is missing or something and you don't have the dub or you don't have the lub, like that's all elements that they need need to listen to. So I think that's pretty incredible that they that they have those um, skills and yeah, Dr. Axelrod, we would um, adjust things according to data. Like, okay, the first is starting at zero, the second at millisecond, whatever. And Dr. Axelrod would listen would listen to these sounds and would actually be able to notice a difference and say, oh, this one is coming too early or too late. So that's really incredible that he has that skill. I must say, I know you had to do a bit of research about all this, but between you two, the knowledge about their heart and heart conditions is quite impressive. <laughs> Especially when you talk about it, so you, you could be a doctor, I wouldn't be able to tell a difference. <laughs> So when we started with the project, uh, I actually um, I went to my dad, who was a doctor, and and asked him to explain me something about the heart. And that helped a lot to get into it. But we did have to do a lot of research. Yeah, that's true. Since the virtual heart has been launched, have you heard any feedback on how the tool has been used in the medical field? Yeah, I actually talked uh, recently to Dr. Axelrod, um, actually about a different project. And um, he told me it's it's um, across the world in 35 centers, more or less. It's been used in different um, capacities, like teaching med students or training doctors or educating parents so um, or educating patients also. And um, there's a number of research studies going on. So there's, a, for example, a two-year study for pediatric residents and they they the first year they learn by standard measures and the second year they start they learn using the app and then they're going to analyze um, the differences of those two years and um, there's also one advanced pediatric trainee study in intensive care that is using the app um, to better understand the defect so there's a lot of different applications around the world and it's it's really cool and. Um, they're really happy about the, the experience and this new way of learning this highly complex um, heart defects. Yeah. Can you talk about the tools and production methods that you use? And I'm particularly interested in implementation of spatial audio in the game engine because it's obviously it's, it's interactive, right? Right. Um, so it started with quite a long creative process about how to recreate and synthesize the the hard sounds um, because first we thought we could just go and record um, something on our own <laughs> which was a bit naive uh, thinking because it's it's uh, impossible to record babies of course and then um, some heart defects are also super rare um, second idea was to to take already existing recordings but even that was not so ex um, existing. It turned out that we uh, we couldn't find some of the defects, and also the the recordings all sound very different, um, as I had mentioned before. Because the stethoscopes sometimes are analog, sometimes they are digital, you know, and they have all different sounds coming out of there. So at the end, we ended up um, combining um, the real hard sounds of the lub and dub. And we took these apart to have them as single elements. And then we resynthesized um, the murmur sounds, creating um, using some noise generators and filters. And um, these would also be single elements or single wave files that we would put into Unity. And 
then um, with the scripting of the of the sound files, we would um, add the, the rhythm and create the rhythm out of this. So we would actually create the patterns in real time in Unity, so we could tune them later. And there was this idea to add uh, functionality to to change the the heart BPM. Um, the heart rate and um, things like that. So this this was made possible through uh, through this uh, method that we choose, and of course, what that also enabled us to to use spatial audio because there is the second part of the experience where you can beam yourself inside the heart, and obviously, um, no one has heard the sound inside the heart, so we had to imagine it in a way. But also, we wanted. Uh, the wells, for example, if you can see them, we wanted the sound to come from from the wells, and we wanted the murmur sounds to come from where the actual defect is. So it's usually a hole somewhere or an extra west blood vessel. So it's the blood flowing that you can also see in the in the experience. And um, so we wanted to take these elements and put them in, into the locations of these. Um, yeah, visual elements, and then we used uh, binaural rendering um, to to make a spatial audio experience inside the application, and that worked out pretty well. But it was uh, not so easy because, for example, these two lub and dub sounds that I mentioned that come from uh, four valves, after all, and these is always two valves more or less at the same time. So. Um, Depending on your location, if you would use the same sounds, they, they would appear just as a stereo image in between the, the two valves, so that wouldn't work. So we had to alter and slightly change the pitch and stuff of the of these two different sounds and able to um, to enable um, the listener to distinguish between these uh, two hard sounds and and uh, also for the for the murmur sounds, it had to be uh, yeah, it had to to get a bit more of a high frequency content in order to be able to to locate it better. So uh, in the beginning, we used a very realistic um, murmur sound that was very numb and very dull. And that didn't work so well with the spatialization. So we choose to add some more high frequency content to set the filters a bit higher, if you will. And um, that helped a lot to improve the um, the spatial effects. Yeah, the inside the heart, we also created some uh, inside the heart atmosphere, let's say, like what, what we imagine would be inside the body, kind of, like an underwater kind of thing. And that was also like masking the murmur because they were very similar in sound. And that's why we chose also to pitch the murmur a little bit higher so that you could dist distinguish those two and still have the immersive um, element of feeling like you're inside the heart. It's one of those projects when um, you, in the end, you only end up with a, a dozen of sounds, but the amount of work that goes into creating those is, is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the sounds themselves are, are very dull. I mean, it's not uh, the most amazing sound design I've created, <laughs> but the the process and, and the research and the the work that we did together with the two Davids was just very exciting, was really interesting to, to do a like a topic like this that we've never done before. So that was definitely my my favorite part, figuring out how to, to solve those different pieces of the puzzle. It's one of those rare scenarios where the objectives are very different to 
um, I don't know, your typical um, film uh, project, for instance, where you want to kind of enhance the narrative and wow your audience. Here you have to recreate their authenticity, which is crucial when it comes to detecting those conditions accurately. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about your next project. Um, moving on to something very different here. Tell me about Blautop VR project. <laughs> it's a very German name, isn't it? <laughs> so it's it's a VR experience to explore um, one of Germany's biggest cave systems, actually, uh, the Blautopf-Höhlen-System. A horribly complicated name, isn't it? Um, so it just means cave system. And uh, Blautopf is a lake in Blaubeuren, and the word Blau means blue. So apparently this is a very blue lake, uh, and uh, it's the entrance to that cave system. So you actually need to dive down about uh, 22 meters in order to access the the entrance of the caves. And uh, it's only open to researchers, so you cannot go there as a normal person. Um, the access is very restricted and uh, you need to be quite an experienced and well-trained diver in order to go down there. And there have been uh, lots of accidents in the history. Uh, so uh, this setting didn't make it very easy, um, obviously, for um, creating this experience. But the team anyway managed to go down there with a camera system and take pictures for a photogrammetry model that we would later also use as a base for um, creating our reverbs um, that have a very important role in creating the ambience of this experience. So um, we didn't have access to any real recordings from, from this cave. Um, so yeah, we had to imagine how these different caves would sound like and what kind of elements you would hear. And uh, so all these elements we had to find in post-production and uh, we had to uh, kind of imagine the way the overall atmosphere of this cave would sound like. And is it is it somewhere in in your local region? It is in the south of Germany too. It's a bit further in the southeast from from our place. So we didn't have a chance to go there, unfortunately. Yeah, we actually got involved in a in a later point in the. I think at that point they had already done the whole photogrammetry when we jumped in. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but I, I don't even think we were offered the possibility to do the recordings, like actual sound recordings, which in the end, I don't even think that would have been a good idea because, um, as you know, with the movie shoots, like with normal movie shoots, people don't actually give time for sound to do like extra recordings. And I think in a setting like that, that you can't stay down there for that long, it would have been just mission impossible. Like the uh, the only way I could have seen it is if we went separately and, and recorded the sounds, but that's also wasn't possible. So I think the fix it in the post was actually the best um, the best thing to do for this project. Yes, definitely. So the experience itself is a mystical adventure game and you're in the role of someone diving down into this cave system um, together with a friend who gets lost uh, inside the caves and uh, you have to find him. And there's also a creepy creature that is derived from a story from Eduard Mörike, which is called Die Schöne Lau. And uh, this creature is kind of dragging you in 
to that cave and it's the spirit of the cave and you don't really know if, whether it's a, a good one or a bad one and actually in the gameplay you later on have to decide for yourself whether you go for the kind of good version or the bad version but i don't want to spoil too much because uh, people should get a chance to play for themselves right i actually had a little go um at the game myself um last year it was very spooky i didn't have time to go to the end but uh, from the link um you can actually see quite a lot and it's a quite long play out of the game and as, according to his words this is one of the best games he found which is available free of charge on um, Steam and Oculus Store, which is fantastic. It's a whole game experience, and it, it's um, whilst it's not like your typical kind of gaming title, which is very long and loads of layers and stages, it's a quite chunky uh, game as far as your typical kind of uh, small scope VR experiences go. Um, can we talk about all things audio in context of the audio design for game. So what's your kind of typical pre-production process and how did you acquire the audio materials for the game, such as Foley, hard SFX, composition, dialogue? Yeah, so as we said, um, it was basically impossible to record the actual atmosphere in the caves. And since it's a cave system, um, each cave sounds differently, is what we're assuming <laughs> because we were never there. So we had um, some, some liberty, let's say, some creative liberty to be able to create the ambience in each of these caves. So all of this we did in post-production. Um, we built our own um, ambisonics ambience and we added um, mono sources that uh, were like object-based. So if you had like a there are some levels that you can um, see animals, like bats, for example. So we have bats that fly by, and um, we kind of made a plan, um, Dan and I, like, okay, what are the elements that we want in each of these different caves? So this one, maybe we want a rock rolling over there, and this one will have water, so there will be something dropping in the water. And we kind of went from there and built uh, around six caves Dan I don't know I don't remember how many caves there were I mean we didn't do the whole the, the game does not do the whole system as far as I know because obviously they couldn't do the photogametry in the whole 10 kilometer system um, so they picked I guess the biggest caves or the most known caves and they did that so yeah I think about five or six caves do you remember Dan yeah yeah I think it's uh wait there is one two yeah it's about five caves i think that we designed for and one of them is a huge connected one that has different areas with different ambiences and uh, so it, it was a total of three different um unity scenes and then in one scene there would be three different locations that was also a bit of a challenge later in the integration yeah and um as far as like Foley-like sounds, like footsteps, and there's like a, a drill that um, you use, a power drill to extract like rocks from the cave. Super spoiler alert. But <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so those elements we recorded ourselves in the studio. And um, with dialogue, um, Germans are very hardcore about... Uh, 
ADR and voice recording, and they have a lot of famous voices, actually. That's something I wasn't used to as a Brazilian because we watch all our movies um, with subtitles. So um, the, the dubbing scene is very, like, very well established in Germany, and they have all these voices, and they get very excited for, like, oh, we got the voice of Brad Pitt. <laughs> like I would be in film school and people would try to convince me to do a project. Like, oh, do you want to do this project? We even have the voice of Brad Pitt. I'm like, unless you have the real Brad Pitt, <laughs> I really don't care if you got the German voice of Brad Pitt. But yeah, cultural differences. <laughs> But anyway, they, they got like famous voices for the characters in the games. Um, so those voices were recorded, were pre-recorded and um, submitted to us. And uh, we did the processing because there's a couple of um, filtering. I think we even have an um, example that you can show. So we have Lotte and she's diving. So she has her diving helmet on. So maybe, um, Oliver, you can play now the um, raw format first and then with the helmet um, effect. Paul, wo bist du? Wir sollten doch zusammenbleiben. Paul, wo bist du? Wir sollten doch zusammenbleiben. Yeah, so for this um, helmet effect, we used uh, Dear Reality. Shout out to the Dear Reality boys. <laughs> And um, so we used this like kind of binauralized effect to have this claustrophobic um, effect on the voice, like you're, you're listening through the um, helmet. So through the walkie-talkie, that is through the helmet. <laughs> Um, and we also have the Lao, so this um, spirit of the cave that was also pre-recorded to us, and we processed that a lot. Um, the the reverb itself was done within the cave, like within the game engine. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dan. Um, and um, but we still did some processing straight to the voice, so we placed it um, as an object in the game engine, but we had already processed it before. Um, yeah, so maybe Oliver can play again the example of the Lao in Raw and then with the effects. Ich bin nicht böse, auch nicht gut. Ich bin ich. Ich bin nicht böse, auch nicht gut. Ich bin ich. What's your favorite or go-to ways to decode ambisonics in Unity and uh, also real-time reverberation and sort of acoustic simulation engines? Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of research and trial and error on this um, experience because I really wanted to get the reverbs right for the cave system and I really wanted to use the 3D model that I, as I had said before and I ended up using Google Resonance for that. And um, that worked pretty well and it just sounded best to me for this application. I'm not saying it's the best sounding tool for everything, but here it worked pretty well and was very easy to, to use the 3D model and get a good sounding cave reverb that sounds very realistic to me and actually brings me inside this cave. And... This has a very important role, I think, for the for the experience and uh, spooky atmosphere that that you're feeling when you're in the case. Because there is not a lot of elements and not a lot of sounds going on, but the reverb really makes makes something out of that.
Um, so I used that for the for the object based things and everything that needed reverb and real time in the in the game engine. So all the ambiences, all the footsteps, all the foley sounds, they are mostly um, very dry recorded and not processed a lot and they have this real-time reverb on there and we do have uh, also some ambisonics ambiences that that we included and here i also used uh, the the google decoder i i think if i remember correctly and um that was mostly out of convenience, I would say, but it's also, uh, in my opinion, better sounding than than the others that that are out there for free. And uh, Dear Reality just released a new uh, new version of their toolset, and I would love to to listen to that again and see because they added this uh, a lot more features for real time reverberation, I think. So, um, but that wasn't available. Yeah, that was announced recently, but that wasn't available at that time, right? Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I was quite pleased with Google Resonance as far as my experience goes. And um, but lately, developers um, have been reluctant to to take this tool on board because they stopped developing it, stopped updating it over a year ago, uh, which is a real shame because it's it's a great tool, it's free, and um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I wonder what happened there. And there's anybody who's listening to this podcast who knows the answers, uh, um, please let us know. I totally agree with you. I even tried reaching out to some of the developers during the production because there was actually some very annoying bug that I had to deal with and that we managed to deal with in the end, but it, it took me a lot of time and trial and error to, to figure it out. And yeah, there was unfortunately no response and uh, I figured also later that there has not been any further development of the tools, which is a pity and it's it's really a shame. Because it sounds great, it's free. Do you want to add anything else with regards to music? The music was actually um, done but by one of our um, freelancers. She's a music designer, Simona. And um, she actually um, composed the music under dance supervision so that uh, the, the music could actually work pretty well within the VR setting. So like... When you dive, you have the dive scene. There are some musical elements that are used to create drama, and they're actually placed spatially. Like if the diver touches the the rock, then you have like a ching sound kind of stuff. Um, that's something Dan um, worked with her, so maybe he can tell you more in details about that process. Yeah, right. And we also had to to come up with a um, for this diving scene, which is quite a long part of the experience. We had to come up with uh, different loops that would work in themselves, but that would also transition very well to to the next one because it's a smooth transition when when you're diving. So when you're entering a new part of the cave, it it has to um, fade into a new loop, which is a bit more dramatic or something because it it gets more narrow in the cave, and you should feel more claustrophobic or something. And um, then on top of that, we we really added some single musical elements that are triggered. While when you're reaching uh, a certain part, there might be a stone that is super close to you, which um, which creates this kind of little drama effect. And so we had to make sure that these elements work together at all times because you would never know in which part of the loop you would be when you when you're crossing that point, right? And so this was uh, a new thing to me as well, but uh, I think we we managed to to work it out pretty well in the end. But it was a lot of trial and error, definitely. The next project is rather 
relevant to our current situation with a lockdown and social distancing, which is slightly bizarre coincidence. But uh, why don't you tell us more? Yeah, the the next project is uh, definitely a creepy one <laughs> because um, it's actually a feature film. It has nothing to do with VR, even though um, Dan did mix it in Dolby Atmos to make it more immersive, but it's just a, a regular movie. And um, yeah, we, we finished production this year, actually, I think in January, like we did the last mixing stuff. And um, it's supposed to be set in a dystopian future, <laughs> but it's actually so re- relevant to our times. Um, the director, um, Lisa Charlotte Friedrich, and the producer, Ricky Hui, they, um, they're both involved with uh, live performances. Um, one is a musician and the other one is an actress. And um, the idea for the movie came after the 2015 um, Paris attacks, um, terrorist attacks. And um, apparently there was some talk about canceling live events with the fear of um, more attacks. And since they're both involved um, with live performance, they kind of thought like, okay, how would life look like if you weren't able to perform live? So the movie is called Live, (laughs) and it's about um, two siblings that actually decide to do this um, secret concert in a live setting with a crowd, which is forbidden in this movie. So they're on constant lockdown, and they don't have a lot of um, freedom of assembly. You can't move around, and there's a lot of um, of, uh, Überwachung. Surveillance, surveillance. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, surveillance. And uh, it was really creepy because we finished not that long ago. And then this whole Corona stuff happened. And of course, I immediately wrote the girls like, oh my goodness, this is such a deja vu. This is such a life imitating the arts. And um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty creepy. But I guess guess it's great marketing for the movie. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty funny because it's very um, similar to to Black Mirror, kind of. Like, it is a sci-fi, but not like a fifth element or minority report kind of sci-fi. It's more like in the near future, but it's still very realistic. You know what I mean? Like Black Mirror kind of thing. And um, so you, you have this feeling like, this can happen at any moment, actually. This this doesn't feel like it's in like 30 years or 50 years. So yeah, once the whole corona stuff started, it's, it made it even more creepy. <laughs> so this was a feature film mix for the cinema delivery on Atmos system. Uh, can you talk about post-production and delivery process and actually how Dolby Atmos added value to this particular production from immersive audio standpoint? Sure. Um, I think... I think the actual post-production process was pretty straightforward for a feature film production. Um, So I'm going to dive into the Dolby Atmos thing. Um, This was not requested by the directors, so they wanted to have a 5.1 mix, but um, we decided on the go to to use Dolby Atmos and and use the, yeah, not the down mix features, but the 5.1 mix feature. And uh, so the backgrounds of the film contain a lot of single elements like radio signals and helicopters flying above you. And they should really give you the feeling of being surveilled all the time and controlled. And even inside some of the buildings, by the way. And um, using using objects and Dolby Atmos here and the height channels um, really help to create an immersive atmosphere. 
Also, at the end, there is a scene where one of the one of the protagonists needed a godlike voice coming from above you. You know, because she's flying in a drone above a field and she's talking to someone standing on the field. And here it turned out really great to put the dialogue in the height channels um, just for that purpose. So um, it was a bit of a, a trial run first in Dolby Atmos because it was also the first feature film we have mixed in Dolby Atmos. Um, but there was also um, some elements that worked out really well in Dolby Atmos and that we really liked. And uh, so, yeah. So, guys, you are an official sound partner for Experimenta Highborn Science Dome. Can you talk about the work you've been doing with these guys? Yeah, so um, the Experimenta is a science center in Heilbronn, which is um, close to where we live, um, here in the south of Germany. And we've been working with them for about three years. Um, we kind of reached out to them. Um, it was actually a funny coincidence I saw on LinkedIn that this science center that I personally didn't know about and Dan went to as a child, <laughs> I later found out, um, they were posting a job looking for 3D artists for their new science center that was being built. And um, I did a little research and, and saw that they were building this amazing facility. And uh, I just decided to write them and ask them if they actually would have sound needs for this dome. And um, since then, um, we've been in contact with them and, and we've been now their official partner for about two years, I think. And um, last year in March, they opened the Science Dome, which is a state-of-the-art facility. And it has a really unique format of um, combining theater with the dome format. So it's really, really cool, and we're responsible for all their sound needs. So from production, like they do a lot of own productions, like shooting with 360 cameras so that it can fit in the dome format, and uh, all the way to post-production, so sound design and, and mixing in 3D format to fit their dome. Mm -hmm. And how does the venue operate, and how does it differ from traditional cinema visually and sonically as well? I wouldn't compare it so much to a traditional cinema because it's rather um, comparable to a planetarium. So the form factor is uh, pretty much the same you would have in a planetarium. It's a, it's a dome screen, um, but it has a defined front, um, which kind of distinguishes it from a traditional planetarium. Uh, so all the seating would be towards the front. And also the dome is tilted by... 20 degrees, I think, downwards towards the front. So you would sit a bit more like in an IMAX cinema, if you know those. And um, yeah, furthermore, the, the whole audience can be turned by 180 degree and that's, that would open up the view to a stage. And in which case the, the dome screen is limited, of course. So it would start above the stage and you would only see a limited part of the screen. Um, so the shows are therefore either films or stage plays about science usually with um, additional multimedia content. So they would have a video running here and there on one screen and so on. Um, but some of the shows uh, even include both of these elements. So there would be a part where it, you have a full-on film and then the audience would turn during the show and would open up the stage and there would happen something in live. So there would be presenters talking about some... Uh, topic and uh, there would be 
I don't know, a lot of multimedia stuff going on. They have lasers, there is a, a waterfall that they can add, there is um, these Tesla coils that can make and produce their own sounds and that do these lightning effects. Um, so there's pretty cool stuff going on there and um, it's very, very complex. Um, but sonically, um, the acoustic designers, in my opinion, have done an amazing job. So it, it, there's absorption behind the screen and it really gives us it sounds like a like a normal cinema and you have a good cinema sound in there and that's really the best i've heard in a, in a full dome so far can you describe the sound system that is installed in the dome yeah so they um do have a 26 channel array of loudspeakers that are distributed on the dome and there is an additional pa system and subwoofer channel that are, the subs are also distributed in the room, obviously. But the PA system would be to fire up for the for the front stage if you want. So if there would be a live concert or something, you would use that PA system only. Um, but all of these speakers can be addressed um, separately, and so you can you can go crazy and you're really free of of, of cho- choosing the decoder and whatever you want to do in that system. So um, on the one hand. Um, this is very open to uh, to all kinds of possibilities, but on the other hand, you really need to be careful to not lose the focus on the purpose, uh, which is mostly transporting a story, right? So, um, you, yeah, there's a you need to find the balance, I guess, of what you want to do there. And how do you kind of uh, approach your post production process in a studio with presumably an Atmos system in place? and then extrapolate and translate workflow further to the field where you're working in the dome with maybe Spat Revolution or maybe the equivalent in place that then pans audio locally there. Yeah, we, we actually use a lot uh, Spatial Audio Designer from uh, New Audio Technologies, I think it's the company from Hamburg. Uh, this is made by Tom Ammermann. And um, he also designed a live real-time system that takes care of turning the whole sound field inside. So when the stage is turning, I'm sorry, the audience is turning, um, you need the whole sound field to turn. And you wouldn't want to do that in the post-production already and and burn it into the sound files. You want to do this live for certain reasons. And so they had to uh, have a very flexible system of being able to manipulate uh, the sound field also live. So there is a kind of rendering system going on there, but you can, you can, I mean, there's different presets. You can have a 5.1 mix going into this system. Um, you can have an ambisonics uh, sound field that is decoded and, and running into the system. Um, so you can also combine all of these different elements. You can decide to have your own bad format like you would have in Dolby Atmos, for example. And you could add some objects, but um, this was all uh, uh, a lot of learning and and trial and error again here. And um, now I think we have designed a workflow that is uh, quite efficient and uh, still leaves enough of the possibilities. And uh, also it is easy to transfer to other cinemas. And uh, to come back to your your first question, was well, which was how do we produce and pre-produce in our studio? So we have built our studio um, that it is within the specs of Dolby Atmos, but it's also within the specs of Auro 3D. And it is also in a kind of a dome 
format if you want. So the speakers are all in the same radius and we do have a voice of God even. So we um, we are able to, to decode the same production into our system and then take it from, from our studio and uh, play it out for the 29 channels of Experimenta. So it's basically the same mix that we are preparing and um, that will just be um, more detailed with more speakers, right? So as you said, just like um, you would do with Spat Revolution or something. We've been thinking of, of using this tool as well, uh, and maybe we will in the future. But right now it's a combination of, um, of a bad format and a uh, spatial audio designer object-based mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we also got from them um, a 3D model of the planetarium. So actually we also do use VR um, glasses to check out some stuff. Because obviously, otherwise, you have a very strange format in your flat screen on your TV. So it's kind of cool to be able to see it in the planetarium, like in a in a um, virtual environment. Let's say to kind of tweak it. It's not perfect, but it definitely helps a lot. And it, and now we have a, a system where we can play the the VR version of that um, film on the VR goggles and and have our 3D sound system playing in parallel. So we can we can check out how it looks and how it sounds and and how it matches like the 3D audio feel to the picture and this is pretty cool and we we've e- even uh, have a set, a set up with the spatial connect from the reality again shout out again and <laughs> uh and now we're also thinking of integrating that in a, into our workflow a little more because you could actually use that tool to to move around the objects in VR, which we have been using uh, quite a bit for VR productions and ambisonics mixes, but not for um, not for the full domes yet. Mm-hmm. I see. And to listen through the sound system and not just headphones, which is really cool. Also, that makes sense now because. Um since you're not doing any live panning object moving during the show, you can basically pre-bake the whole show in the kind of linear fashion time-wise, but then the rotation of the sound field, depending on the, where the stage, where the audience is during the show, is the interactive aspect of it. Exactly. Although there is um, some tracks that we deliver sometimes in addition, like it could be, for example, voiceover, that is not working so well when you bake it into the sound field and when it, it moves around when while turning. So um, there is also the possibility to, to program um, certain elements, object-based, that go um, live in the rendering system in the, in the cinema later. So it really depends on the, on the project. It can be uh, anything from stereo up to um, going crazy with... I don't know, having an ambisonics bad format, adding tons of objects, uh, having voiceover channels, and, and so on. So um, you can you can really go crazy, and uh, this is why I think it, it's really important to make some decisions at some point and keep it simple, also, because otherwise you go crazy. The last session I've been mixing had 650 tracks, so it's a lot of fun, and. Um, but I work with a routing matrix in, in, in Reaper that that gives me flexibility, but that also helps to keep it simple. So I don't want to, you know, open up 650 panners and and pan stuff around. So it's it's easier to keep it in a, a simple and use buses and, and and such things. Yeah, very interesting. If you want, I can talk quickly about the musical aspect as well um, of the mixing the music for this format, because um, in the beginning. 
in the beginning for the music we thought for example that we could just use all the stereo stamps that we got from the composers and um, place each of them in their separate location you know and you really end up going going nuts with that because it's it's just too many elements you know to deal with and it turns out it's uh it's not really necessary because you usually end up placing like pad sounds and distribute them to the towards more the the back the surrounds and there is certain drum elements that will usually stay in the front and so on so you can you can kind of group these together but you can also use a, a smaller bad format for example um i don't know 12.1 and uh, pre-mix it in that and then bake that into the into the 3D mix later in the rendering system. Through our correspondence outside of Immersive Audio Podcast, I know that you both have been involved with organizing the AES conference in Vienna in May, which unfortunately has now been cancelled. Can you tell us more about your roles within uh, the AES and that particular conference? Well, I, I like to start out to say that it's not canceled. <laughs> so at least the, the the live meetup is canceled, but we are planning a virtual version of the conference. Um, so we're going to try to set up um, like Zoom conferences and maybe Q&A sessions. So that's being currently dis discussed. And uh, the date also, because obviously um, the presenters need more time to present their talks if they're going to record themselves and that kind of stuff. Um, so I'll definitely keep people posted. But um, yeah, Dan and I are um, co-chairs together with Matthias Frank for the workshop and tutorials for the AES in Vienna. So that means um, that we help organize and recruit different presentations and try to keep um, the topics kind of mixed to not have things too focused on one end. And uh, my personal, uh, just Anna, <laughs> my personal uh, task since uh, the last AES, which was in Dublin, um, was to recruit more film sound themes because um, I feel that the AES, at least in Europe, is very music-based. Um, it started getting a little bit more attention towards um, immersive audio, obviously, with the last years with VR. But there's still a lot of, um, of uh, space missing for sound design and foleys and that kind of stuff. So since I come from that very traditional film school background, um, I'd love to see more, and, and that happened in Dublin. I got to bring a lot of people to talk about sound effects creation and that kind of stuff, and that was my goal also for Vienna. So there is a lot of um, different topics. I think it's very mixed and um, a lot of different um, interest areas. Yep, so that's, that's my involvement, at least, with the AES. So um, my history with the AES dates back a bit uh, further, I think, um, uh, actually to the Vienna conference in 2007. Um, I think that was my first AES conference and I was already involved in the AES student section uh, crowds back then. And we were organizing, uh, yeah, back then we called it the science spot, which was a spot for students to show off their science projects. And I think this has been taking off and uh, pretty well and has uh, established quite a bit in the AES since then. And uh, later I was also uh, chair for international 
student sections um, in the SDA, so the student delegate assembly. And we were always helping to organize the student events throughout the different AS conferences. So I have been involved also in the in the latest London conference, which I think was 2010 and 11, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, and also um, this year we are both, Anna and I, are um, in the jury for the student recording competition, um, which is an honor for me because um, this back then was a, a huge thing for me as a student, you know, and I was always taking part and I, I even got some awards back then. And um, so it's an honor to be in this jury nowadays. Back then it was the stars for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I want to give a, a quick shout out to Dan, <laughs> because actually um, I, I was involved as a member of the ES uh, when I studied in California. But um, once I came to, to Germany and, and started doing more film sound stuff, um, I wasn't very involved. So actually I, I got back to be involved with the AES because of Dan, because we presented in the AES in Milan. And um, he introduced me to Magda, who is someone who's very involved with the AES. And he kind of suggested that um, I should maybe try to help out a bit more as a co-chair. So definitely shout out to Dan <laughs> for getting me involved. Help, um, yeah, bring a little bit more diversity. You're welcome. <laughs> the Audio Engineering Society comes up a lot in, in our interviews with the previous guests as well um, in uh, people taking part and people being involved with organization and research etc and uh, we always add the links in our show notes so yeah if you just starting out haven't heard of the AES previously definitely check it out it's if you kind of considering your professional career in audio industry it's one of those things that you should probably look at most definitely and there's um sorry to interrupt um but there's uh, local chapters also so even if uh, if you're starting out or as a student and you can't make it out to conferences um there are local events happening by the local um chapters of the yes so that's also something to check out Besides the stopbacks that came as the result of COVID-19, uh, which obviously we've talked uh, about in quantities today, um, what personally and as Delta Soundworks you have in store in 2020? Or maybe 2021 now? <laughs> well, um, we do still have um, one project going on. We are working on an R&D project, VR project from the Animation Institute of the Film Academy, Baden-Württemberg. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to tell you any details about that, so I'm not going to do that right now, but um, it's pretty exciting VR experience. So this is ongoing and I think it will happen likely this year. It was supposed to be finished for FMX, which is also cancelled, obviously. Oh yeah, FMX is the, one of the biggest CGI um, graphics conferences. And it takes place in Stuttgart once a year. And so it was supposed to be shown there. But um, since this was cancelled, we are they loosened up the deadline a little bit. But so far, we are on a good track to finish it still in 2020. <laughs> Depending on uh, if they can render a new version out. <laughs> I think that's the only thing I can say without getting killed. <laughs> yeah, we're working on, on the sound design right now. And um, obviously everyone is working from home. But as far as rendering, um, that's a bit complicated. Obviously, they need to go back to the campus. So we need to see how, how that's continuing. But 
yeah, it's still pretty cool to work on the sound design from home. So that doesn't change that much with us VR people, <laughs> just working from home with headphones. Yeah, it does, it does seem like everything's just going to get pushed to next year because it's not like things going to go out of date or whatnot. It's just a shame that we, we are going to lose that time. But, you know, we, we see that in every industry, people just holding on to those big releases because it's just going to be complete waste, isn't it? It, it does It does feel like we, we definitely lost the first part of the year, but I'm not sure about the second. Definitely, but person personally, I must say, I I mean, a lot of the things have been shifted and and cancelled for me. But um, I also got got into a new job very recently, which was in the film set product um, um, of producing a cooking show for German television, uh, which was pretty funny and ex- exciting for me too because I had never been on a film set for TV before, and so crazy things are happening and. Uh, Let's see what 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 else will come in in the next couple of months. I mean, in terms of music, um, I think a lot of musicians are getting into streaming right now, and so that might actually also be a field where we can get involved in the near future, like offering our recording studio as a as a place for um, high quality streaming, for example. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and lastly, you know, um, I wanted to. Each of you ask same question. Can you share one piece of advice uh, with our audience that really helped you in your career, your journey? Ah, the golden question. <laughs> um, <laughs> we always get asked this question. It's really tough because the experiences are very different. Um, but for me, definitely um, networking is, is a big part um, of my career, be it uh, when I was a freelancer or yes, uh, or now as uh, Delta Soundworks, um, just meeting people in the industry and exchanging ideas, like that's really um, has been a big part um, of my day-to-day to like kind of connect with people and exchange creative and technical ideas. And um, I think it's also very important to stay productive during these difficult times. Um that uh, that's something that I learned with life pre-Delta because I did a lot of um, movie shooting and obviously that comes in waves. You have a lot of things in the summer and then in the winter dies out, but it was always very important for me to stay productive even with those um, breaks, let's say. So that's how I kind of got into recording sound libraries and and that kind of stuff or learning a new program, learning new skills. I think that's that's really important, but um, yeah, networking. I mean, even with the, the social distancing, I don't think there's any excuse nowadays to not network. We have the whole um, social media stuff. And and now there's a lot of um, VR meetups with, with Altspace happening, like even small conferences and that kind of stuff. So um, it's pretty... It's actually pretty exciting to see if this um, difficult period now will will push VR and will be the push that VR was needing to get into like the the general public. Anna, I think you you stole my answer. <laughs> I mean, apart from from uh, networking, um, I think it's also important to stay curious about the new technologies that uh, that are coming up and to embrace them and see what you can do with them in a creative context rather than in the technical context and also my my personal pre-corona advice would be um, to to really focus on your strengths and try to figure out what your 
kind of core competencies are and then um, focus on them rather than trying to be the the person for everything. And in the best case, you can combine all of these and make them to your own product. And um, I think that that kind of mindset has helped me a lot in recent years to focus a lot more on, on what matters to me and what I love doing and what I uh, enjoy doing also, and rather than struggling with getting, you know, the bacon coming in. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's, that's definitely something that uh, works very well um, with Delta, with the two of us. We kind of know our weeks and, and, and strengths and we really complement each other very well. And I think it's it's kind of difficult to to expect to know everything, you know. And um, at some point, you just need to accept, okay, I'm not good with this, but um, luckily, I have a partner that can do that for me. And uh, you also have like fresh ears, you know. I'm I'm. It's not that I'm I'm not necessarily good with mixing, but I don't enjoy it very much. So we divide that very well with Delta in that I do the sound design and I pass it forward for Daniel to do the the mix. And I really like that because you have like a, a fresh perspective with new ears of um, what you created. So, yeah. Right. But not only inside of Delta, but also outside with having this really amazing uh, team of freelance people in our studio. It's it's totally awesome to just go to some colleague when, when you're doing some kind of pop music thing, for example, and you have the expert sitting right next to you and you can go there and ask that that really helps a lot and i i think this is also an advice maybe for for people who are starting to to freelance work and maybe have their home studios and can maybe not reach out directly to a, a network locally but i think using social media and, and all these new uh, messaging technologies you can you can really get your head around and 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 meet people and, and start talking to them and kind of interact with them uh, because I think everyone's super happy to always share some ideas and and things and um, in my personal experience that that helped me a lot to bump up my my skills and my confidence yeah I don't think everyone is your competition I think people are very scared to like work with other people and I think it's okay that you're not good with every skill and that you actually um, bring someone into your team. I think that the clients also are very happy about that, that you actually have the most competent person for that one skill um, instead of you yourself trying to solve the problem somehow. Don't know if that ends up in a very positive note. <laughs> <laughs> so keep networking, make new friends. Yay. Yeah, there's a whole package of tips and strategies from you guys, which is definitely very valuable for audience coming from different levels of experiences as well. And I can totally second what, everything you said so far. Nice. Anna, Daniel, thank you very much for talking to me today. It was a great pleasure and stay safe. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Stay healthy and stay safe. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. Tschüss. Tschüss. Before you go, we want to hear from you. If you'd like to let us know what you think about our show, please take the quick survey in this episode's description. It'll help us make the immersive audio podcast even better. We really appreciate your feedback. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, 
This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Michelle Chan and included music by Inobs Bergamo. If you can, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out in pushing our show further. The podcast is also available on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Visit 1618digital.com to access the show notes and other episodes. Follow us at 1618digital on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.